Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Britain is just a small island that no one pays attention to. A former colony won the right to determine its own destiny. you're listening to this podcast you're most probably listening through a pair of headphones which means i have the perfect sponsor with the perfect product for you it's studio and they want to revolutionize the way people see headphones generally fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality and the high-tech ones are bulky and not design orientated studio bridge that gap while emphasizing sleek modern scandinavian design to get a 15 percent discount on any of their wares go to studiosweden.com which is spelled s-u-d-i-o sweden.com and simply put in the code d-t-d when purchasing a pair of headphones hello and welcome to an atlantic the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the atlantic from the perspective of the other i am royfield brown in a rather sunny lovely bay area on the west coast of the US of A. Today we're joined by Jerno McWright, who's having cocktails somewhere yes, in I Norwich. Yes, I am. I'm, I'm drinking an um, amaretto sour and enjoying my life. Good uh. for you, sir. Good for you. And we have a new boy, author, man of letters, man of travel, Chris Katona, in the land of Highbury in Islington. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. And uh, I just realized that I've only got water, and that seems wrong now. Oh, um, absolutely. In a week that has seen a porn star sue the president of the United States and Italy lurch to the right in terms of populism, we ask, will Parliament or a second referendum save us from Brexit? Former Prime Minister Sir John Major is insisting that MPs must have a free vote on any Brexit deal. This must be a decisive vote in which Parliament can accept or reject the final outcome, or send the negotiators back to seek improvements, or order a referendum so the public may approve what has been determined. That is what parliamentary sovereignty really means. But to minimise divisions in our country, and between and within the political parties, 
I believe the government should take a further very brave and bold decision. I believe they should invite Parliament to accept or reject the final outcome on a free vote. Nick, why are there now increased calls for a second referendum in the UK? Um, because I think it's becoming more and more apparent that the uh, original referendum was framed in a poor manner, in the sense that um, people didn't, uh, many, many people didn't understand the complexities of it, and it was framed as in out. Um, you know, do you want control or do you want to be under the yoke of the, you know, EU superstate? And the reality has come out that people realise, actually, we quite like being able to travel where we wanted. We quite like free and frictionless trade. And it's becoming more and more apparent that the people apparently in charge of negotiating us a better solution, um, you know, the, the David Davises of this world, are not up to the job. So that's it, really. I I hope that's a good explanation. Chris, if there's a second referendum, won't leavers be wary and just think that this is some kind of establishment plot uh, to cancel the will of the people? Uh, Probably. I'm sure that we're, I mean, we're hearing that message now. If there is a second referendum, we'll we'll hear it that much more strongly. I, I guess, you know, step back and what this reflects is that uh, we did this thing called a referendum, but the rules of the game uh, weren't very clearly laid out beforehand. And so there's a lot of ambiguity about, uh, you know, the central question, which is how, like, so so what does this referendum bind us to? Is it, you know, when we, when we go to the polls and vote in an election, it usually has sort of a validity of about four to five years, and then it expires, and we have to go to the polls and, and renew our choice. Is a referendum like a permanently binding thing until it's enacted? Like, what if, what if the circumstances of the world around us change? Like, by now, you know, looking that it's going to be 2021 by the time the you know so-called transition period is over, that will be five years after the referendum was taken. So, you know, five years from the vote, does the vote still bind people? And and the fact that. No one ever answered that question up front, I think, just injected, uh, you know, this, this, this uncertainty, this big ball of uncertainty that anybody can pick up and play with anytime they want now. And that's exactly and, what's happening. And the demographics suggest that Leave will probably lose even at this point because a lot of Leave voters are, sorry to say this, fucking dead now. They're dead. They're gone. Like, they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> like the reality is, they they have croaked it. So, the, you know, if it was purely taken on a youth vote, if you if you said, okay, no one under the age of forty can vote, Leave would have bust it like no problem. Um, so, yeah, it's all to play for. Um, and I, the other thing is, which the Leave side don't like to to um, uh, address, is that the referendum was presented and put together as an advisory referendum. So actually under law, like, you know, it was advisory. Mm. The government can say, actually, yes, that was advisory, but the situation has changed. That's the nature mm. of it. And, and Cameron, you know, he, he was too confident that he'd win. I think if there was another referendum, the Remain side would fight a lot harder because there was an overconfidence there that allowed Leave to, you know, get away with some things. Also, we know now more and more that there are there's, there's definite sense that there were there were outside actors involved in helping the leave side. Mm. 
absolutely. But let's just steer it away from from Russians and dodgy dodgy millionaires that were were funding. I that said campaign. outside actors. I didn't just say Russians. You know. All right. Okay. All right. But I mean, I think if I can just build on top of what Mick said there, like so. Yeah. I mean, you know, why do we typically in, in a democracy uh, redo a vote? after a certain period of time, right? Like no votes are really meant to be permanent. It's because one, after a period of time, the voters change, like some people become able to vote and some people die. Uh, and two, the world changes. And both of those changes are relevant to the will of the people. Right? And so at, somehow there's got to be like an extremity, at which point whatever the will expressed in the referendum was, eventually the voters and the world have changed enough that that will has kind of lapsed. And you know, the longer we go on before Brexit happens, I think that the, the weaker that sort of that last expression of the will of the people becomes binding upon the present. Also, the other thing is, right, I spent eight years in Ireland. And, and the thing that Ireland has always done with referendums is it's put a, it's put a ceiling that's required for a referendum to pass. The great mistake here was a 48-52 referendum. That is not a significant enough difference to pass a referendum. You need like a two-thirds vote. You need it to be an overwhelming vote. Otherwise, it's always going to be up for question because the, the side that lost is going to say, well, you know, 48% of us voted to remain and only 52% voted to, to leave. The, the, you know, the margin is not wide enough to be decisive. That's the issue, I think. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, absolutely. if I can bring a Canadian example, sorry. No, you, know, on, you want to move on. No, well, no, no. You're going to do Quebec. Quebec. So, yeah, that's right. The Canadian example is Quebec, and in the mid 1990s, uh, the province of Quebec held a, a referendum to decide: Do we want to separate from Canada? And it was narrowly lost by like 0.2 percentage points. It was it was that close, and the scare of that narrow loss kind of led the rest of the country to recognize that you know. Uh, does the province get to set the rules? What are the winning conditions for a referendum like this? And so the case was referred to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court came out with a kind of a, a compromise formula that said, uh, so it re would require a clear majority voting in response to a clear question. And while it didn't define what a clear majority was, the fact that they put you know, an adjective next to the word majority suggests that it's, it's got to be more than just 50% plus one person if you're going to fundamentally remake sort of the makeup of the country. And I think that that was a way to sort of help uh, just clarify the rules of the game a bit and say, yeah, I mean, it, we have to be careful when we introduce sort of uh, uh, votes and, and referendums into our democratic processes that we don't let anyone sort of after the fact decide what the rules of the game were. Uh, and so, you know, whatever happens here out of Brexit, maybe that'll be one of the positive long-term things that people here do is say, okay, you know, maybe we should figure out what we mean by referendum when we say these things before we do the next one, because eventually there'll be another one. And we know based yeah, on the Brexit experience how to handle it. Well, the last thing I would say about this, to, to jump onto what you just said there, is just totally, there's a reason we have representative democracy rather than direct democracy, which is mm. representative democracy is a functional way to run a state. You elect representatives, you choose to let them make decisions and vote for laws. And then if they do a shit job, you vote them out again after 
you know, four or five years, depending on how you run your system. What you don't do is go, okay, we're going to have a vote of the people on everything, because that is an anarchistic way of doing things. Well, Nick, it's called Switzerland. Most people... Switzerland is effectively a fascist state, but let's not get into that. Um, the, the problem, the problem with them, it is like Switzerland is the worst combination of the French and Germans. Um, but the, the, talk to most people, and I don't say this is a bad thing; it's just a fact. Most people have a limited interest in politics, and because of that, their awareness of the issues is relatively limited. And the reason elections, general elections, are a good thing is they coalesce people around a period of campaigning where people focus down on the issues and make choices based on the issues. But over the long term, most people don't really give a shit about most issues, like tax reform or whatever. There will be a certain number of people who really care about it. And the rest of people basically think our taxes are broadly too high, which is sort of the generic opinion. It's very black and white views. And that's why referenda are very bad, because they just like suddenly it's like, you know, I, I talk to people about Brexit and they go, well, you know, I just basically voted for a protest vote and i never thought lee would win or or i thought this would help our fishermen or whatever it's all kind of like it's like okay well that's just really complex and every country in the world virtually is involved in the trade block and we happen to be involved in a massive one of you know 280 million people that's quite a good thing um and people just didn't really credit that with anything until we're now in this mess where the Europeans are looking at us and thinking, look at these idiots. They used to be one of the most dominant powers in Europe, and now they're honestly the retarded cousin. All right. Hmm. Let, let, let's, just, let's just hold that thought that we're the retarded <laughs> cousin of Europe, Nick. I, what, what, what <laughs> I haven't again, done... I've taken us down a bad line. No, 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 you and, haven't. And I'm, you I'm haven't. just going to clarify again that I'm Canadian. Well, so. that's exactly what I was about to say, <laughs> Chris, is that what I haven't done for the listeners is actually set up uh, the fact that you're actually, you are Canadian as opposed to American. I think with our British ears, you just sound American to us. But You sound Canadian to me, well, to be fair, but there you go. You're an educated and well-travelled man, Mick, right? So it's just I like Canadians are great. Apart from Justin Trudeau, who's like the most overly woke man in the world. It's so false. Well, like anyway, it. carry on. That Quebec referendum in the mid nineties. Yeah. Which was by a whisker Quebec voted to remain part of Canada. Interestingly, what Quebec and Canada hasn't done subsequently is politically tear itself apart. Why is it that Canada could have a... Well, Quebec could have a closer referendum result and not suffer the political fallout that the UK has had? What did, what did Canada do? What did the body politic in Canada do, which um, we can't do, we are not doing in the UK, Chris? Hasn't Canada as a whole made some concessions to Quebec? Like, haven't they made a few concessions to Quebec over the time? In part, in large part, because of Quebec, right? Because this is, Canada is basically, you know, English and French colonies, uh, you know, saying this land is our land, and you know, we've got to figure out uh, together how to coexist here, even though we don't really like each other. And oh yeah, and the Native American population, well, you know, they're not going to be at the table because this is the 1800s, and we don't think about things like that. But you know, so I mean, Canada is this. Uh, constitutional structure where the provinces have a lot of authority over big areas of policy like immigration and education that really shape 
the the culture of the community, and that's all because of the Quebec problem, right? But I think that the big difference to your question, Roy Field, uh, frankly, is that because even though it was by a whisker, uh, the separatists lost. There was no getting past that, right? Had they had they won by a whisker, uh, and then the rest of Canada had said, no, we're not going to respect that decision because actually after the fact, we've decided that you need to hit 55%. I mean, we, we, Canada could be a very different place right now because that would have been politically a lot harder. And, and that's more what's happening here in the UK right now, right? I mean, if, if Brexit had lost by a whisker, uh, you know, everybody would have been really rattled by it. But at the end of the day, you lost. So we don't have to change. But it's 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 remarkable in the democracy how, you know, just one percentage point one way or the other really does change everything. Right. That's the that's the power. Well, of yeah, the, the, the reality is that what I absolutely despise is the way that we voters act as if if they had lost by 48 to 52, that they wouldn't be fighting viciously for a another referendum. Of course they would. That Nigel mm. Farage's entire existence. In fact, Nigel Farage has called for a second referendum now because he's become politically utterly irrelevant. And so he wants the battle back. <laughs> he's like an old soldier who needs the war to start again. It's like, Jesus, okay, maybe there should be a second re- referendum, he thinks. Like, the, you know, the twitching in his trousers activating, thinking, brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. I want to fight again. Because he's because he's he's a dickless wonder now. He's got nothing to fight for. He's just stood around with his flaccid dick, thinking, "What what can I do now? I can't fuck the country anymore. I've already fucked it." Well, I don't know how how true that is because he he believes Mick surely that um, the government he is, is a, slowly he is backsliding. He's an opportun. He's he is a he is an opportunist crypto fascist nightmare of a man. Like they, they, he does, he believes nothing. Like Nigel Farage, I don't do not believe has a strong commitment to it. He just sees it as a way to be famous and to achieve the things he needs. His friends are disaster capitalists. Look at someone like John Redwood, who advises his hedge fund clients to remove their businesses from the UK while also saying that Brexit's a great thing. And since then, people have understood that disaster capitalism is a very effective way to make a ton of money. And Nigel Farage is the voice of the disaster capitalist. He does what they want because they will keep funding him and keeping him in in quite good standing. Also, take a look at how many Russians he's had meetings with. But that's by the by. Mick, you know, you you bring a perspective to this which which I, I don't have. But one thing I would say about Nigel Farage, though I despise every political bone in the man's body is that I do believe that he is sincere in his belief that Britain needs to... For Britain to be a true sovereign nation, it needs to withdraw from the EU. Uh, he, he sincerely beho- holds that view. And, uh, no, 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 it's bullshit. He knows it's bullshit. I'm so, I don't believe in his sincerity. There isn't a sincere bone in his body. This is a man who was arguing that we should leave the eu while being married to a german woman and all and well, this is a man okay who, mick, like, mick 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 give me a moment right what no, tell the, me he's genuine though it's mick, give I, me a moment it's my podcast give me a, a moment mick, <laughs> mick. Oh, I, oh i co-founded this with you you motherfucker Don't <laughs> <laughs> oh now oh, now we're right. getting on all the dirty mick, laundry i spoke to uh alexiteer um, a left-wing Brexiteer, um, a, few, a few episodes ago, about four or five episodes ago, 
And he had to school me on the fact that he says, I am a committed European. He is actually in Barcelona right now. He's worked in Barcelona. Um, and he says, just because I voted for Brexit does not mean that I do not like Europeans. And he was absolutely right. So the fact, the fact that Nigel Farage has a German wife, we shouldn't then necessarily presume that you've got to be then pro no, okay. the institutions and the structures of the European uh, Union. Here's the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Lexiteers, right? Can, I, I don't, you'll probably cut this. I'm going to say it anyway. These Lexiteers can all go and fuck themselves, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, like I hope they get a rib removed and do a print. The problem with Lexiteers, <laughs> and the serious problem with Lexiteers is this. They are not so... I put it this way, Rick. If you're, there's an interesting thing, right, in the demographics of the Brexit vote, right? If you go above 70, 75, people voted Remain, right? Because people say old people, they all voted um, Leave, right? That's not true. The people who were alive during the war, um, people who were children or teenagers during the war, they voted to Remain. Why did they vote to Remain? Because the European project goes beyond an economic. Um, uh, you know, trade area issue. It is a question of when was the last time that we had a major war in the on the European continent? It was it was the Balkans, right? And the existence of both NATO and the European Union was fundamental in ending the Balkan conflict and also curtailing the Kosovo conflict well, extremely to, quickly. To be there fair, is a, Mick, 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 right? Oh, we, I, you, we, you we, just had a little. You had your little thing there, but like, yeah, to be fair, to, 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 I look, love it when you get EU, the EU, the it, EU. It's a real turn on. I love it. <laughs> the EU was pretty toothless uh, to stop that Bosnian conflict, and that and Clinton yeah, but look, had, look, had you're to step in. There. But you're dissembling no, there because Mick, I said Mick. NATO and the EU. Okay, Mick, Mick. Philosophically, you philosophically, whenever you say my name a lot, it's because you want to patronise me, but not, you want to seem friendly. Not so go all. ahead, do it, Nick, do it, do it. I love Nick. it. Let's not argue. <laughs> no, let's argue. It's fun. I let's it. not argue about the philosophical reasons. The philosophical reasons why the EU was set up in the first place. Right? No, why not argue about that? that it absolutely does matter, but we are sat here where what some ten so days ago the, the, some the some Brexiteers t- arguments. Mick, you know I am not a Brexiteer. No, I know you're not, but you're willing to you're willing to allow them to set up the argument. No, not at all. Not at all. This Lexiteer was full of shit. That's just rubbish. It's moronic. It's not moronic, because- Mick. Well, and I guess, I mean, that's so that's the interesting question about I mean, that's the big question, you know, as we step back from this whole debate and say, you know, is this the price that we pay for democracy? That ideas that maybe some people think are and a lot of people think are moronic decisions that we think maybe are bad. I mean, are actually, you know, is it is it democratic? for a government to pursue policies that actually diminish the well-being of the people that yeah, they govern. Absolutely. Right. And now it, you're sounding like John Major. That's exactly what John Major said, isn't it? It's, well, it's I mean, the first I, time in, in, in history that a government has actively, in a democratic government anyway, 
is potentially going to enact policies which will make everybody poorer, knowingly so. They've got all of the evidence, they know it. It's a case of British growth will be curtailed, whether it's by 0.5%, 0 0.3%. Cumulatively, after 20, 30 years, that adds up to be significantly a dip in, in growth. Right, but we're talking about democracy, and we've had a nice little segue and a bit, a bit of a fist fight here. But talking about democracy you know and referendum. You know Mick, let me ask me a question. Mick, let me ask me a question. Right. Theresa May, Theresa May. <laughs> Theresa How many of those cocktails have you had so far? Theresa <laughs> 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 May, some 10 days ago, uh, set out five points, five tests uh, for the, our final relationship with Europe. And the first one, she says, was we must respect the referendum result. Right. The second point. Uh, was it needs to be a last and accord, which goes to the points that you were making, Chris. The third one, it must protect jobs and security. How are we going to do that when every analyst says we're going to become poorer because of it? It must be consistent with the type of country that we want to be when we leave. Open, modern, forward-looking and tolerant. And one thing that this uh, Brexit process has showed us is that there is a well of intolerance um, in the country, not necessarily just directed at, at Europeans, but actually directed at people that don't share our own political views. And it must strengthen our union and our nations and our people. Now, we have the border issue with, uh, with Ireland, and that is doing anything uh, but to help strengthen the union. Um, Chris, how <laughs> the hell can Theresa May's five points be reconciled with Brexit? Yeah, I mean, as, so as you were listing the points, uh, the more points that you listed, the uh, the more impossible that sounded, right? And I mean, these aren't these are these are political points, right? These are the 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 the. Uh, the contradictions that you speak to paper over uh, the real problems that I think that you know her her ministers and government see uh, that that David Davis sees when he's trying to negotiate. Like, is there any way out of this agreement that uh, we can come back to uh, the British people and and tell them a clear story that they believe that you know we we've somehow delivered strength through this process and I, I mean I I don't think so I think I, I think that it's going to be you know it's the, it's the kind of thing that we're seeing Donald Trump in the US just be a master of I mean he has uh, under him uh, a coalition of supporters who are completely contradictory right like he's got Republicans who are pro-free traders and he's got uh, you know like steel workers who uh, you know love to see tariffs go up because it protects their jobs and you know it has he has businesses who make money on cheap immigration and he has people who want to uh, raise a wall with Mexico and how does he hold that coalition together by sort of you know trying to do something with one hand and then the other hand doesn't see it right or he says these big things uh, to uh, 
pull some people on side, like, oh, guns are bad, and you know we're going to do all these things to rein in guns. Uh, we're going to take them away from you, and then we'll do due process after that. When he's got the spotlight on him, and then as soon as the light turns away, he's persuaded by his real base, the NRA, and says, okay, well, we're not really going to do that. You know, make a big noise and clash the symbols about you know putting these unilateral tariffs uh, on steel and aluminum and get the headlines for that. But then the fine print, yeah, but we're going to exempt Europe, and we're going to exempt Canada, and we're going to exempt Japan, so that really it's just going to hit like 2%. Right? So deliberately or not, he's the master of that. And I think that that's what Theresa May, you know, who, you know, is not a master of, I think, this new political landscape. That That's what she's trying to do with these six points, is, is sort of give something to everyone in there and hope that nobody sees the overall picture which is that everybody is going to end up in this process being pissed off by it. Mick, let's end up with you on this because Chris is taking us, uh, segueing us nicely into Trump territory. Because <laughs> Chris is reasonable, so let's finish with Mick. He's no, probably... that's not uh, what no, I no, said. No, because I... you're on the third cocktail and I'm on water. But this is <laughs> my first oh, my time on the show. Next I'm time I'll know. Cocktail. Next time <laughs> I'll know. Because I want to talk about Corbyn here. We haven't mentioned him and the fact that the, the leader of the opposition is attempting to outflank the Tories. Uh, and he's got the Which support is his job. of the... <laughs> absolutely. And why he didn't do this months ago, but at least he's done it now. He said that we're going to stay in a customs union with the, uh, with the EU. So that means it's a, a relatively soft Brexit. We're not in a single market but it's given us Remainers some hope. What is that going to do to the Tory party, to those fervent Tory Remainers, Mick? Well, here's the thing. They'll tack further towards Brexit not happening at all. I think this is a staged thing. But what people just say, Corbyn was a Eurosceptic, right? He was a Eurosceptic, but he did campaign for Remain. People say, oh, well, he didn't campaign hard enough. I don't give a shit about that anymore. That's that's, that's a a done done deal. There's two things. Um, Theresa May is now very much um, pulling ahead in the competition to be the worst British prime minister in modern history. Chamberlain and Gordon Brown were had it on lockdown before that, but <laughs> she's really, really coming up um, the inside to overtake them on that. Um, basically, the way I see Brexit is this. It's like, currently, the, what we're doing with Brexit is like, imagine if you shot yourself in the genitals and then said to your neighbours, please um, fix my bleeding like genitals. And they went, well, uh, we will help you. We'll try to. But we have to say we're a bit confused that you literally shot yourself in the dick. Like, why did you do that? And, and then we go, well, Boy, I mean, free- history is that men do all sorts of inappropriate things. With it's like penises, we, want, so. yeah, we wanted freedom from you. So we decided to shoot our dicks off. And now we kind of regret that we shot our dicks off. Um, the other thing is, when you talk about intolerance, intolerance is built into the Brexit project. Do not be fooled that it is about fishing quotas or... Um, the freedom of, de- of de- democratic freedom, it's about xenophobia and racism. Lots of people who voted leave are not xenophobic racist, but the people who push that campaign are, are, are far right. The far right pushed that. That's the reality of that. And then with the Irish border, look, this is what's going to totally derail Brexit because a hard border means the resumption of armed conflict in Northern Ireland. That will happen. There's a hard border. That is what will happen. And the Irish T-shirt, the Irish Prime Minister, he's not going, he cannot take the risk that if he fails on the border, what happens is Sinn Féin starts to rise in Ireland and Sinn 
Spain become the dominant party in Ireland, which Finnafoil and Finnegal do not want to happen. Um, Brexit's unworkable. It's like saying to me, oh, how do we make Brexit work? It's like, Mick, how do you fuck a horse and breed a unicorn? <laughs> it's like, it's not going to happen. I can't do it. The DNA doesn't work. Unicorns don't exist. And, and, you know, I can't fuck a horse. Like, it can't happen. It will not happen. It's impossible. And that's what's becoming evidently clear. Even Brexiteers are looking and going, it doesn't work. We can't do it. And it's not just we can't unpick ourselves from the EU. It's that the way we did it is said, we'd like to divorce you. And by the way, you're an ugly fat cow. Like your ex-wife is going to take the house because really you told her that your whole marriage was a farce and she's like a disgusting whore. Like it doesn't work. So that's the problem. Wow. You're somewhat metaphor heavy uh, this week, Mick. And, and I applaud you for it. But uh, on, on that note of uh, unicorns, horses, divorced fat cows and whatever, um, we're going to move on to Trump and why he's decided to start a trade war now. Goodness, Mick, what, what are they putting in those cocktails? I've not, I've had one drink. It's just... You're fired like, up. So, someone <laughs> has riled you up this week, sir. But also, also, listen back to other episodes. I'm always like this. Oh, but you but you like this answer more this week, though. All right, giving the listeners what they want. <laughs> so they charge us fifty, we charge them fifty. Right now, they'll charge us fifty, we charge them nothing. Doesn't work. So that's called a reciprocal tax or mirror tax, and we're going to be doing a lot of that. Many of the countries that treat us the worst on trade and on military are our allies, as they like to call them. So we just want fairness. We just want fairness. Well, your father, Herman, is looking down. He's very proud of you right now. Oh, he's now. still alive. He's uh, oh, he is? Well, then he's, then he's even more proud of you. Then he's even more proud. Anybody else? Please, come on. Up. Chris, what the heck is going on? The President of the United States doesn't seem to understand basic economics. He doesn't seem to understand trade. He wants to put up not only a wall on the southern Mexican border, but he wants to put up a wall around America in terms of trade. Why is he doing this right now? And why is he betraying the conservative principle of free trade? I, I think you're right. No one would disagree that Donald Trump doesn't understand economics and, uh, you know, like, nor does he want to understand economics, nor does he ever, like, he doesn't even really care. Uh, but he does understand popularity, right? And I think that uh, he has this, you know, intuition that's guided him pretty reliably that, you know, a lot of these things that people tell him are a bad idea because, you know, they are stupidly thinking about, like, well-being and, and 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 poverty and like you know uh stuff in the real world uh you know and actually makes really good politics right like you know you think about it like it this trade deficit and like what is a trade deficit you know people can explain it and nobody's still going to understand it but people do get deficit bad right i mean and and maybe it's not. And the economists have these arguments, but but people's understanding deficit bad. So you're going to fight the deficit. That must be uh, that must be a do. good thing, mm. right? You know, and, and and big steel is America. Yeah. And the economists say, well, you know, actually, I mean, 
you know, these primary industries are a very small component of our gross domestic product and you know, declining employment because of automation, blah, 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 blah. You know, but still, yeah, right? It, at a visceral level, he, he's good at picking the things that help him to show. And, like, it's, it's, it's show and tell. I mean, what the reality is, no one's ever going to be interested enough to look at the statistics. But it sure sounds like you're doing the kind of things you said you were going to do on the campaign trail. There's make America great again. What, what does that mean? Demonstrate it. He's doing these things to, to show off that I hear you. I'm, I'm the popular guy. I'm the strong man. I'm changing the, the story for, for America. And so, I mean, I think that like, whenever you look at Donald Trump's policies through like an actual pol- policymaker's lens, you're always going to end up either laughing or crying, right? Because, I mean, it's, 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 it's a tragedy and it's just comic by this point. But whenever you look at them, like in terms of the electoral politics and who are the people that support him and how does he manage to hold them together, it always, you think like, wow, you know, that's actually, you know, I expect that his popularity is going to go up. Uh, Mick, the president says trade wars are easy to win. Are they? Here's a few things. One, Trump isn't a conservative, so let's just throw that out of the window. He's in an uneasy alliance with the most dickless wonder Republicans of all time. Someone like Paul Ryan, <laughs> like Paul Ryan is a is is he will just do whatever works for him. They don't care. They don't care. They'll just they'll just they think he's a winner at the moment, um, and they think he could win again because they managed to get a guy who was suffering from Alzheimer's a second term. So they kind of think, you know, we can get any old shit into the Oval Office. We've done it before. Ronald Reagan, a, a average B actor, B movie actor, although at least Reagan had been a governor. Anyway, Trump isn't conservative. Trump's a Trumpian, right? He made a promise to the steel workers. That's why he's doing this. They need to see him make those moves. And mm. whatever happens, even if it goes wrong, that's fine for him because he can blame outside actors because he's, Trump's a fascist, and fascists need enemies, and they need enemies from within and enemies without, right? So the enemies, external enemies are China, right, and, and other, other trading blocs. The internal enemies are the FBI and the so-called elite, which, you know, for a man who's a multimillionaire, let's not say billionaire because he's not a billionaire, but a multi-multimillionaire, he, he is the elite, and he was the elite for a long time. Are trade wars, let's answer the question, are trade wars easy to win? That was the question. Anybody want to chime in? No, they're not. They're, they're a foolish thing to do. I mean, what I would say is I'd be really afraid of, you know, all the unintended consequences of a trade war right now. I mean, you have, Which you know, some of the economists, some of the economists are already talking about peak trade. Right? And basically what they're saying is that if you look at, you know, all the automation that's happening, all the digitization that's happening, all the kind of localization of manufacturing, like we're bringing stuff back on shore and doing it in fancy factories in the U.S. with no people rather than doing it in China and Vietnam. Um, you know, if, if we do have a trade war where it starts to raise tariff barriers, that, that kind of de-globalization is just going to happen faster and faster and you know ultimately a lot of people's jobs do depend upon trade and if trade starts to just slow down and disappear because you know we found other ways to get the work done through automation um 
you know, not only in the U.S., but around the world, a lot of people are going to really struggle with a world that doesn't trade. I mean, you know, China, remember where China was 25 years ago? There are still, you know, there, there, there's a billion people in Africa who want to do what China did to develop economically out of poverty. Right? And China's but, doing you know, that in Africa. China's there yeah, but in Africa the point I wanted doing to, that. The point I wanted to make is that the China model is an export model, right? You, you export your low-cost labor, and that's how you get on the first rung of the ladder of economic development. And if trade dries up, then that ladder just disappears, right? And there is no way to get out of the poverty trap. So, you know, <clears throat> and of course, I mean, try to tell that to Donald Trump. He's like, huh? No, I'm just trying to make him like, you know, so, so in the big picture of trade war right now, I mean, it's not about winning. It's about it's about reversing human progress at some level. I mean, it could get to that level. It's not just hyperbole. So, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of bang my head against the wall a few times, and I pray that you know, we'll return to some normal world, and then I wake up and find out, you know, about the latest hooker that he screwed, and I don't know, go back to bed. It's the weekend, so I'm going to sleep off a lot of this week, I think. Um, gentlemen, um, won't this just be a skirmish? And I'm and I'm looking at you for this, Mick, because you know far be it from me to say Donald Trump's getting it in the neck here. But the Obama administration hit China or the Chinese steel with heavy tariffs in 2016, and they're still in place. And all people, all the um, industry experts say that it did actually reduce the amount of Chinese imports into the U.S. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware, weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When that happened, um, Wall Street and the world markets did not go off on a cliff like they have done this week. It passed with that with barely a murmur. Well, in order to um, formulate the, the rhetoric of your question there, you had to completely strip the two things of context. And the context is this. The pre President Obama was, a, um, was seen 
by the world, by both the markets and by other leaders as a stable leader who, you know, had a clear and cohesive attitude towards the world. Trump doesn't. Trump is a Trump's like a roulette wheel. They don't know where the ball's going to land. And that's the problem with him. And the difference between trade policy where you use sanctions where necessary and tariffs where necessary and a guy who seems entirely unpredictable is vast. And you know that to be the case. But you've just given me a really nice alley-oop to like, put the ball in the net. So that's fine. But like, that's the issue. The issue is that, 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 that Obama had a cohesive trade policy and the Trump administration has Donald Trump. Like, uh, look, at, look at the Obama administration. Like, it had two secretaries of state. You know, it had it had Hillary Clinton and then it had um, ah, what's his name um, who stood for president, John Kerry, John Kerry. And that, that, like if you have a top diplomat who world leaders feel that they can do business with, it's entirely different. But with like Rex Tillerson, everybody knows Rex Tillerson is dangling by a thread and Trump could have a little tantrum and Tillerson's gone. So there's no cohesive diplomatic effort. And, you know, the, the big story that we should be talking about as much as we're talking about trade is the fact that Trump's now said he's going to go and have a meeting with Kim Jong-un, which is just like this is some seriously like knocking the, 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 the board of international diplomacy, just throwing it on the floor. It's crazy because I tell you what's going to happen is Trump's going to say Kim Jong-un, he's a person we can do business with. He was very nice to me. He was extremely complimentary to me, you know, like rather than going, he's a guy who runs labor camps and, and is a dictator of a of an oppressive totalitarian state. The other piece of context I just want to jump in there with is, you know, so Obama, he, he put targeted trade tariffs, steel tariffs on China, right? I mean, how much steel does America import from China? About 3% well, of its steel yeah. comes two, from China. 2%, so, yeah. 2%, 2%, 3%. So, I mean, versus across the board from everywhere, a 25% tariff. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a very big difference. And maybe the biggest difference is that China is not an ally. You know, Canada, Europe are America's allies. And, you know, the bigger story about the rise of China, you know, which isn't just due to its economic growth, it's due to the Iraq war, it's due to the global financial crisis, it's due to all this populism in democratic countries. You know, one of the big things that America still has going for it that China doesn't is an international web of allies. Who are China's allies in the world? Like formerly North Korea, whereas America has allies all around the globe. And, you know, this is a, a trade move to basically say, now let me figure out what I can do to diminish America's allegiances in the world. You know, while I've been knocking all these other pe pillars of our greatness out, why don't I take our allies at the same time? I think that it's I mean, that's the bigger picture stuff that scares the rest of the world and scares markets when Trump does stuff like this, because it, it raises the question like, holy, you're going to say something I shouldn't say, but you know, like, do you not understand I like that you said the that kind of value, the, the kind of value destruction that's taking place is very hard to quantify. I also think it's worth remembering, like, there is another level to this, and it comes back to what I was saying around the Brexit thing, which is when there is this destruction, there are people who spent a lot of money supporting Trump who like this destruction because they make bets on death and destruction for the little people. The Peter Thiels of this world, the, the Musk of this world, these people who, like, I mean, Musk wasn't a Trump supporter, but he did go on his economic council for a period. These people like 
disruption. Disruption is a Silicon Valley word, you know, and, and there are a lot of Trump supporters in Silicon Valley because actually, if you throw the board in the air and the pieces are in flux, these people benefit from it because they have enough cash and cushioning for themselves to do very well out of it. True, true that, true that. On that note, sir, because we um, we are perilously approaching uh, the one hour mark. We're going to curtail Trump. We're going to go to takeaways of the week. We're all going to take a long, deep, hard breath and be positive. So we're going to start with you, Mick. You're in Gonzo's wine bar. It sounds like a hip and happening place. What has been <laughs> your takeaway? That's put a completely like different spin on things, you know. Now, I thought you were there with the cognoscenti of Norwich. Now I'm, I'm imagining you're there the with, 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 with the uh, Purple Rinse Brigade. It's, it's the OAPs no, no, you're no. hanging out with. It calls itself, it calls itself a tea room, but it is, it's probably the coolest bar in Norwich. I, I, right. I highly recommend it. No, uh, my takeaway is it was International Women's Day this week and it's Mother's Day on Sunday. And, and, and the great takeaway is this. And I think that, as I've said on previous episodes of this show, as much as I'm negative, I I think a lot about the thing that Martin Luther King used to say a lot about the, uh, you know, the arc of the universe bending towards justice. And I know Obama liked to cry that as a lot. And I, I look this week and I look and see the number of... Um, uh, incredible women doing incredible things and you just look and think well this is like the world is becoming better in a number in any number of ways people are being pulled out of poverty we are becoming on the whole less homophobic less racist less divisive in a lot of ways the thing is the divisive people just sound a lot louder because of a megaphone um i'd encourage people to go to my twitter and look for um there's a list of over 100 women that i put together before christmas and i've been retweeting that again um, around International Women's Day. Like, there are really interesting people doing great things. The world is looking better in many, many ways. So, you know, we can be positive. The stuff around Brexit, Trump, whatever, um, these shocks happen in human history and we can recover from them. The resilience of the human race is that we can go beyond that. There you go. Positive. Yay. Oh, I feel, I feel so much better now. Thank goodness. Oh. Chris, uh, same question to you, sir. Oh, what was the question again? What has been your <laughs> takeaway of the last seven days? Can't have politics. It's got to be something okay. which has made you think, which maybe the listeners could then go check out or agree with and just lift our spirits generally. All right. Well, you know, I think the general uplifting for idea for me always is that, uh, you know, yes, we live in a moment where... I mean, the scale of the challenges we face is is sometimes just, you know, it's daunting. It's it's big. But on the positive side, the kind of solutions, you know, like the technologies that uh, that are coming on board have this exponential potential, right? And and so that I think is is kind of exciting. And I'm a bit of a techno geek, so I, you know, I'm often following things like Crunchbase and Slashdot and all these things where, you know, admittedly a lot of them are in Silicon Valley saying, "Hey, look at this new shiny thing I created." But the cool thing, the coolest thing that I've seen this last week is from IBM. So IBM has uh, announced this week they've got a new quantum computer. It's whatever that means. It's 50 qubits now, whatever that means. The point is, they've created a website where you can anyone can go onto it and you can play with 
this quantum computer and play at programming it. And you can literally, with a couple of clicks of your mouse, do these sexy things with a real computer that's in New York somewhere uh, that that like you, you read about in like popular science magazine. Like you can entangle particles and you can create superposition and it actually happens somewhere in a box in New York City that's cooled to like point zero two degrees Kelvin. It has no practical effect whatsoever. Like nobody knows what to do with these things yet. But the fact that, you know, me sitting here in London, uh, I can now through the internet play with like a machine that does advanced physics in New York City. Uh, and these machines ultimately are going to you know, usher in a whole new era of computing power. Uh, that's that's kind of cool. Uh, I, I, could, I couldn't agree with you more. It sounds uh, incredibly cool. Uh, quickly, my takeaway is com- on a completely uh, different theme. The last six months or so for me, I've really discovered uh, the power of YouTube. Um, not just in being able to fix things around the home whatever it is you just go well i don't know how to do that i don't want to go onto a website which tells me how to do it i'll just go onto youtube and invariably there is somebody um who is fixing those you know that burst pipe and they physically show you how to do it but there's all these various different communities on youtube and the one and i've just kind of really fallen in love with this guy a guy who calls himself skunk ape it's a guy called chris and he is crazy about comic books, something which is very close to my heart. And what he does, two, three times a week, he just draws. He films himself drawing and takes live questions. And it is the most genteel, um, civilised, beautiful thing. There he is just drawing Wonder Woman or drawing a superhero or drawing R2-D2. And he just says, this is what I've been doing today. At work, I did this and that. And then somebody logs on from from Bosnia and has a chat and then fires questions to him and he answers them. And it's just a really simple but lovely space to commune with people who you'll never meet. But actually, you have this shared love of not just comic book art, but just civility. So Skunk Ape on YouTube. Go check him out for when he does his live streams and join in uh, with, with the live chat. Ask him a question about the world of, of comics or just the world in general and he'll answer it whilst, whilst drawing a superhero. It's absolutely lovely. This has been a rather rambunctious and somewhat noisy uh, um, mid-Atlantic. We've had Mick in, in his wine bar. We've had, we've had new boy Chris um, try, try and keep up with uh, mix uh, many metaphors uh, this week. You can fo- on try <laughs> exactly. And I think Chris, remember next time um, when you when you come on the show, have alcohol with you because it just, it seems it seems to rev, rev up our, our mix as we can keep up with him. So no no tea or water for you next time, sir. Please mental re- note: be fortified. Absolutely. Please review us on iTunes, folks. That's one way you can show us your support for our good pinko leftists. We love the world. Uh, let's love people and let's not hate view of things. So go on to iTunes or a podcatcher of your choice to show us your support by giving us um, a decent review. On social media, you can find us where we are, specifically Twitter, where we are Mid-Atlantic Show. You can also type that into Facebook and you can, you can see uh, the progress of, of each show. 
Mick, uh, whilst we've got you, why don't you tell people what your social media bona fides are so they can find you on whatever platform you're on? Yeah, just find me on Twitter at Broken Bottle Boy. Um, that's the place to get me. And how about you, new boy Chris? And uh, I'm on Twitter too at Chris Katarna, K U T A R N A. And of course, you can find me also on Twitter uh, where I'm at Royfield, but R O I F I E L D. See you all again in a few weeks. Bye bye. Mick Wright. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.